Cairo, Seattle. It's time to get schooled with a professor, Sean Clayton. And welcome to Schooled with a Professor. We have a great thing we're going to do, and this is going to be one of my fun things of the year. Jason Fitzgerald of Over the Cab, who does such a great job with that site. And again, before we get started with that, hey, Jason, give everybody, if they don't know where to go for salary cap numbers, for salary numbers, accurate salary cap numbers, and even some premium things, tell them where to go. Sure. You can head to, the, uh, to my website, overthecap.com, and you can check out all the things that we have there, tracking player contracts, salary cap situations, talking about the uh, NFL collective bargaining agreement, and doing free agency previews as that time gets closer. Uh, and you can also follow me on Twitter, at Jason underscore OTC, where I do a lot of uh, question and answer sessions as well. Yeah, and of course, I mean, it's, it's funny because I always wait till the weekend when you start doing you know, your tech, you know, the questions on Twitter and you know, taking questions and all that stuff. And of course, the podcast seems to be doing really, really well. Yeah, we it's picked up. You know, I've been able to, if there's one little blessing in this quarantine that's been going on, is it's given me a little bit more time to be able to focus on doing some of the podcast stuff and uh doing some things that are a little bit more interactive. A lot of the Twitter stuff happens kind of organically late at night uh, on the weekend sometimes, but it's been good, at least in that regard, to be able to uh, reach out to more and more fans and, yeah, talk about this and educate a little bit on the salary cap and contract structures in the NFL. Yeah, it kind of amazes me being a West Coast guy and seeing some of your tweets and question answers like at a 4 o'clock in the morning, Sunday morning, but uh, you, as you can appreciate, I follow. Okay, so what we're going to do on this... We're basically on Schooled with the Professor. We're going to go over and try to, you know, resurrect the 2021 salary cap, you know, based on what's going to be the damage from the pandemic and the 3.5 to $3 million. To start it off, let's get on the same page or somewhat on the same page. What do, what do you expect to be the revenue losses and what do you currently think the revenue is for the National Football League? Well, the revenues are, you know, they're, they're definitely a very high number um i'm going to say it was maybe oh gosh maybe 13 billion i, I can't remember the exact yeah, so I, I go with i go with 17 i go with 17 because so, yeah, that, yeah that's that that's probably <laughs> right in those numbers you know it's it's a huge figure and the the money that's most at risk right now i would think is what's called the local revenues uh the way they split the cba up they have basically three different revenue buckets and your local revenues is mainly the stuff that's affiliated with, you know, playing games on Sunday, your ticket sales, concessions, all all those kind of things. And when I started to dig into that more, I was surprised actually at how much of the total revenue stream that makes up. It's probably around 45% to 50% of uh, the overall league revenues. So if you miss out on that, you could be looking at a downturn in the salary cap of anywhere from probably 70 to $90 million um, based on what, whatever the projections were. Um, so, you know, the salary cap losses could be pretty significant over the next year. Yeah, because uh, what I look at, because what I do is I base it off, what, again, we'll find out here in a couple of weeks, when the Packers are late right now and getting out the stock uh, stock report as far as what they did in the last year as far as their percentages is that, you know, I kind of go off where the cap is. And, you know, I, I pretty much project right now that the revenues this year projected, and again, it's projected, was going to be, you know, pretty much a little bit over $17 million. And so now to stay on the same train, uh, do we buy Forbes at 5.5 
billion lost revenue if there's nobody in the seats or the 3 to 3.5 billion that the players association is talking about I think it's probably going to be somewhere in between those numbers. Uh, I think it's probably going to be somewhere around $4 billion. I would think just based it. Again, it's the same thing where I'm going the same thing that you are, uh, kind of looking at those Packers financials from the last couple of years to try to back into some numbers um, and go off that. But, yeah, it's probably somewhere around $4 billion, I would think, um, that could be lost here. It, it's so much. You know, it's a lot. Yeah, no doubt. And I guess, you know, with Forbes, you're pretty much guessing it's going to be for each missing game. And that includes the preseason. If Forbes would be about $150 million for each lost game and the uh, NFLPA about $130 million, which is that's the case. If there's no preseason games, that's about $812 million. Or if it's going to be if they're going to have two preseason games, it's going to be lost about you know in the 400s. Yeah, and I think that's one of the things that maybe isn't really even being thought about with the, the concept of playing some of these preseason games. Um, you know, I, I don't know how much is really being taken into account in these discussions as to, to what the actual impact on revenue is going to be in the future. You know, there's talk right now of doing no preseason games at all. And part of the reason for that, I think, is the players and a lot of people who follow the games don't really pay much attention to them. But I, I think what gets lost in translation sometimes is how much money is really involved in those games, uh, even though that's not as big of a deal, obviously, as your regular season uh, football packages. See, because the way I look at it is that, uh, and uh, surprisingly, as tough as it's been for the NFLPA, I look at them as being, you know, pretty right on, and J.C. Treader actually doing a very good job. You know, when they wanted to have the mini camp at the end in June, he said, no, we can't do that. And I think he was wise in doing that because you saw how bad the spikes were in the five to seven biggest states in the country. And so that was wise. And even the thought of no preseason games, even though it's a loss of revenue, was pretty much a smart thing to do in the sense, why why waste injury? Because, again, I, I track all the injury stuff. And there's a 44% increase in hamstring injuries in 2011 when there was a lockout double the Achilles tendons. I always track the ACLs, and that's always going to be in the 50s. You're going to have so many injuries that work against the cap. Yeah, and that also is going to impact your regular season as well. Um, you know, you, you need to have a good product on the field to maintain interest in everything. And, uh, you know, for your players just to be out there and be healthy and competitive. Um, you know, he's done a pretty good job. I think he's been very good at communicating his points. Uh, he uses social media a lot. He does a lot of posts, um, on different outlets as well. Um, I think he's been very good in that role to, to keep, I don't know, kind of keep things open, not just between the players, but, you know, fans of the game and everyone else just to see where the players' heads are at. And I think explaining the points pretty well, um, as to what they are and aren't doing. And the thing that surprised me the most with all of this, really, though, is I started to talk about this potential loss this year and the, the kind of complications that could come with this back in late April, early May, and so did other people, plenty of people. It just surprises me that the NFL has put off so long really sitting down and, I don't know, kind of coming up with concrete plans. You know, you're a couple weeks away from camp, and now it's just like the, you're figuring out okay, maybe this really is going to be a problem for, you know, a little bit of a longer term. And I'm, I'm just surprised they weren't more proactive with this, um, you know, starting in April and May. Yeah, of course, the, the one reason I think that they were delayed in doing it is that, you know, I was wrong in thinking that 
probably a wise thing with the late agreement on the CBA 10 year extension. It's like, okay, don't start the CBA now. Let's, uh, you know, let's wait a couple of weeks for free agency. And that would have been a disaster because two weeks into free agency, it was pretty well set that now you can't even have physicals because of the pandemic. And so it's like, okay, this worked out much better by doing it. And it certainly worked out well for doing it for the draft, because even though there was less money spent in free agency this year in UFAs, and that's amazing because you had so many quarterbacks that got some money. It's like, okay, there was less money spent than last year. And the top uh, free agent signing was 16.5 million by Byron Jones, which was kind of amazing. But what, uh, what I thought was remarkable is a sense that, uh, you know, it was less money. And I guess that kind of fit the idea. It's like, okay, we kind of sense some bad things are coming. So, uh, you know, let's not overspend. Yeah, I think that was probably part of it. And you're seeing that now too. I mean, there's been obviously the Mahomes extension that kind of gets everyone's attention but in general extensions are way down this year uh draft pick signings are almost non-existent you know maybe 25 28 percent of draft picks have been signed usually by this time of year it's maybe 90 percent you know it's usually just about everybody is signed at this point and right now every everyone's just waiting uh waiting on you know spending money on signing bonuses that would normally go out to draft picks you know within a couple weeks of signing the deal um just kind of holding on with that and also, just the fact that, yeah, you know, you, you want to do a physical on a play or two, make sure they're not going to land on NFI or anything along those lines, and still can't really do those things right now. So it, it's really had a big impact, I think, on this offseason from the contra- uh, contract side of things. Um, there's been a big impact already. So let's start to build this thing back up. So figuring it's going to be 3 to $4 billion of losses, if not more, Let's start building it up. Now, I don't know. Do you have any idea with the eight rows identified at the beginning of the stadium, at the bottom of the stadium, that you can now have sponsorships? I know it's $1.4 billion of sponsorships in the league. How much can that get back? I don't think it would be that much. Um, You know, the the other thing that I I think is probably got to be concerning the NFL as well I don't know how much people are going to have for discretionary spending right now. Um, you know, people are hurting with jobs. Uh, a lot of businesses are way down right now. And you have states like where I live in New Jersey, you know, where we're barely really even opened up at all. I don't know how much companies are really going to look to spend in sponsorships for what would probably be a pretty short-term thing. You know, it would be for this year, I would guess, only uh, that they would do something like that. And I don't know if getting that brand equity is necessarily going to pay off this year the way that it might in, you know, normal years, the way that it has in the past. So I'm not really sure that that'll really bring in huge amounts of money this year, given just the circumstances of everything with the economy. Yeah. What, what do you say? Fans in the stands or no fans in the stands? I don't think they're going to have fans in the stands. I think there's too many liabilities yeah. with it. Uh, I think it'll probably be in front of pretty much empty stadiums. May Maybe they'll do something where you can invite some family and friends or something along those lines. But I, I think it'll be pretty much no fans in the stadium. Yeah, I would tend to agree. Preseason games or no preseason games? Uh, I'm going to also lean towards no preseason games. I, I think they're going to need to take things slow with training camp and kind of what you talked about before with uh, making sure that players are conditioned after really having no off-season uh, programs to, to work from, make sure that they don't have... Uh, 
you know, different kinds of soft tissue injuries and things along those lines. See, it kills me because uh, I've been tracking ACL tears. I've been tracking Achilles tendon tears since 2012. I wish I would have done 2011 because, you know, we now know that according to the Players Association, you know, the number of Achilles tears doubled. I have it at least 20 through November, and there was 10 in the first 12 days of camp. And, you know, it was unfortunately I was able to figure out it was like 51 as far as the Achilles, uh, the ACL tears. I didn't have the 44% increase in hamstrings. But what I know is that, you know, every year tracking all those things since 2012, you start OTAs, you get those soft tissue injuries. You start uh, mini camp, you get more soft tissue injuries. You start training camp, you get more off-season off injuries like that, those soft tissue tears. And you start the season and it even grows more. Um, so, you know, I, I think that they'll, they'll hold off probably on the preseason, uh, just in regard to that, just try to get everyone up to speed as best as possible. And you figure like I do that, uh, you know, there's, this is the end of the four preseason games ever, because whether it's two or zero next year at the most, it's going to be two because the NFL is going to have no choice and the players association for the cap purposes have no choice of putting in the 17 game season. Oh, yeah, yeah. I think this this would have been, if they had had four this year, I think this would have been the last four it anyway. Um, so, you know, if they if they want to get down to two, I'm sure the NFL will think of it as kind of like an experiment of sorts just to, uh, to push for next year. But I, I think no matter what, they were going to end up at two games next year anyway. So how much more can they get in that 17th week? Knowing that, uh, what was it, 41 of the top 50 TV shows for uh, people watching were NFL, if you start to do a 17th week, and you know, let's say that we agree that it's going to be seven-plus million dollars in the last year of most of the TV deals, it's billion dollars as far as that goes, that uh, it's going to be slightly more than the weekly average if you add a 17th week. Uh I don't really know how much it'll bring. Uh, you know, I mean, they've thrown around some pretty big numbers as to what that extra game will be. Um, I mean, TV networks have been pretty hungry, uh, obviously, for the NFL, and you're going to change the playoffs up a little bit, I guess, to make sure that that 17th week is pretty compelling. Um, my thought, I, I know I've seen some real big numbers uh, thrown around. I kind of figured that the salary cap from that 17th game would probably end up increasing on an average, I don't know, maybe somewhere between six and eight million um, per team based mm-hmm. on, on that extra game. Uh, you know, but I, I'm not really too certain on that one. I, I have not, uh, I, I haven't really studied that one enough to, to know for certain as to how much that'll impact it. The the other one that I think that could apply to this year as far as revenue, and I don't know if it's a, it works or not, is that if college football pushes back, which I think is very, very likely, then they can start to even maybe flex some games to Saturday. I know they have it in the Amazon contract to be able to flex a couple games, but if there's no college football in the early part or even in the season, you know, a flex game on a Saturday or two flex games, I think that could probably draw more interest from the current partners with the uh, with the networks yeah i think that definitely would um you know people are like i said very hungry for football um they're going to be hungry for content all the time and if you do have a season where there's no fans in the stands um maneuvering your schedule where you can flex in and out of certain games obviously it's not the the greatest of things for the players uh, for preparation purposes but 
it's probably a little bit easier to do. And I think the NFL could probably see themselves getting a lot of attention if, you know, you basically run a package where you're running Thursday, Friday, Saturday, your main game Sunday, and then your your finale on Monday, where you basically take five days where there's nothing else going on, and you just present football games. Um, I, I could definitely see them looking to do something like that this year, um, just to try it out and see how many eyeballs they can get on the sets. So the big question right now, do you, we know there's not going to be the $10 million rise in the cap, but what do you see? Flat cap or somewhat of a decrease? I, I think they're going to negotiate to end up with a flat cap, and I think what you'll see is the, the cap will probably be flat for the next couple of years. Um, as you know, the, the new CBA, it's a three-year spending window, so I, I think they'll probably try to allocate this kind of whatever loss is there this year, uh, they'll try to allocate it the next three years um, and pretty much kind of look like the beginning of the old CBA, uh, the last one, you know, where it went from, I think it was 120.4 to 120.6 to $123 million, um, salary cap limits those first three years. So maybe right now you'll see something where it'll go from 198 this year to maybe 199, 200 next year, 205, 207, and then you'll kind of see it explode up as they get back, uh, you know, under normal circumstances a couple of years from now. To follow your point, there was no question that was taken into account in the Patrick Mahomes contract because <clears throat> as I looked at the specifics of Mahomes, basically in the first two years of the deal, he makes the same money. Different structure, $10 million signing bonus, but his cap numbers stayed just about the same. And he ends up getting you know 27.2 over the next two years. And then the third year comes in, and the average in the first three years is 19.3. And then now the debate's going to be as far as the next contract to try to top him. Do you look at the 12-year deal at, nine, at $39.8 million, or do you look at the 10-year new money at $45 million? Uh, I, I think for the short term, unless other quarterbacks are going to think of doing a long-term contract, which I doubt. No, no, I mean, nobody's going to do a 10-year contract. Day. Nobody, nobody. Yeah, I mean, this was so, this caught me so off guard. I mean, this was, this was something that you would see back in like 2002. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the NFL doesn't function this way anymore. Uh, my guess is players looking for a standard contract everyone's going to look at this front end of the deal i think they're going to look at the first five years new money i think it averages out to 39.5 um the first five new on this one and i think that's what's going to be looked at as kind of the the number to work off of uh for other players so i would imagine you know deshaun watson uh will probably be the next guy that gets done and you know he'll probably look for something in that ballpark, $38, $39 million a year. But I, I don't think people are going to look at the $45 million number right now. It's certainly on the team end as anything but an outlier. Uh, you know, unless, it, unless you're willing to do 10 years, uh, they're, they're not going to touch those kind of numbers. Yeah, because you knew they had to do something flat for the two years of what's going to be a flat cap, and that gives them somewhat of an ability, even though I don't think it's going to work, to be able to get uh, a, maybe a couple players that they can keep. I, I don't think it's going to be Chris Jones, because you know Chris wants, as rightfully so, $5 million more than the 16-1 that he has as a franchise tag. I think that's going to be tough, but uh, you know, it was, it, it's, this, this is kind of like the long-term Tom Brady deal, where it's like, okay, 
I'll, I'll get my money. I won't get it up front, but I'll get my money. But I'll give you the ability to try to get better players around me as long as I was like I'm on this team. And so I thought that was quite interesting in the way that he handled it. But in the end, you know, let's say that Dak does a four year deal in the thirty five million dollar range and you have Watson, you know, now probably getting you know thirty eight or thirty nine that the next contracts those guys get is going to top Mahomes. Oh yeah, I don't. I don't think Mahomes' uh, contract as the top number is going to last for as long as some people probably think. Um, and you look historically, uh, quarterback contracts are rising pretty quickly. Uh, you know, it took a pretty long time to get from ten million to twenty million, probably from you know nineteen ninety nine to Breeze. I think in two thousand twelve was the first twenty million. He got to thirty million by twenty eighteen, and we're probably going to get to even if you discount this one. Uh, you know, you'll end up at the first. A forty million dollar quarterback on a more traditional style contract, probably by twenty twenty one. You know, with uh, either Watson or Lamar Jackson, um, you know, one of those guys will probably be able to sneak over the forty million dollar mark, and then it kind of starts to get back to what we've seen the last couple of years, where you know, next guy signs for forty one five, then for forty two, and you know, next thing you know, you have a fifty million dollar quarterback. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I don't think Mahomes' contract is going to. You know, six years from now, it's going to be the highest contract. I, I doubt that. No doubt about it. Okay, and again, everybody wanting to see over the cap, but what all the things do we have, Jason, and over the cap they can watch and see? Uh, you know, we we pretty much have any anything and everything that you want to see there. Uh, the most popular stuff that I think people look at is they they like to look at the salary cap pages for their favorite team. Uh, gives you a snapshot in time of what the salary cap looks like for their teams right now, and it'll give you a look um, in the future to see what holds there can give you an idea of what the cost would be on the salary cap to release players um, and how the teams may be able to restructure deals to handle that. Uh, So that's really the most popular stuff, but we we have a lot of things, you know, if contracts really interest you, we have a lot of interesting articles and a lot of uh, different things that we put up there that really get into it. Uh, But if you're just looking for a quick hit in salary cap pages, positional salary rankings, it's all there. Jason Fitzgerald from Over the Cap. Thanks for joining us on Schooled with a Professor. Thank you very much for having me, John. And that does it for this week's podcast. In between episodes, you can follow me on Twitter at Clayton ESPN. If you enjoy these weekly one-on-one conversations, consider leaving a review on iTunes or wherever you're listening to the show. Thanks for listening. See you next time on Schooled with a Professor.